don't know what you thought uh, as we read uh, through these uh, words uh, in the book of Joel. I wouldn't blame you if you heard some of the words and you just felt utterly baffled by some of the things being said, because sometimes we can read uh, God's word and uh, it can baffle us. Uh, We don't know what it means, what it's saying. It seems so foreign and so strange. Um, And sadly, sometimes we uh, don't know how to apply it to ourselves. I heard a story uh, of a um, theological student who uh, was about to finish his studies and was going to uh, go to um, pastor a church somewhere. And he had uh, an offer from a church up north, um, and he was already and committed to go there, but then he had another offer from a church down south. Uh, And he felt conflicted about whether he could um, cancel on his commitment to the first church. And he was flicking through his Bible and he came across Isaiah 43, verse 6. And Isaiah 43, verse 6 says, I will say to the north, give up. And he thought, oh, this is guidance. This is all the guidance I needed. Uh, Until he carried on reading uh, in the same verse where it said, And to the south, do not withhold. And he realized, oh, (laughs) Bible pointed in both directions if he read it that way. And the point being that we can't read the Bible just taking a verse here and there and applying it to our situation. Because the Bible, in many ways, is a story. And don't be surprised if you break into the middle of a story and don't understand what's going on. You need to read the beginning first, and then the middle pages will make sense if you remember the first. Another reason why we can find the Bible difficult is because much of the Bible wasn't written to us. Now, of course, all the Bible was written to us for our learning. Uh, The New Testament teaches that. But in a direct sense, the book of Joel was not written to us sitting here in Billinghay this evening. It was written to a Jewish people, a Jewish people going through a very specific set of circumstances. And it was said to a people who had very particular promises given to them by God, which if we read earlier in scripture, we can understand. So when we come to a book like this, don't be disheartened when it might seem baffling and strange. Uh, Once we understand the bigger picture, then it starts to fall into place. And the bigger picture is this. Right back towards the beginning of scripture, uh, in the opening Books. God chose a nation for himself, the nation of Israel, Abraham's descendants, Jacob's descendants, Isaac's descendants. And he said to Israel, the Israelites, that he was going to make them into a great nation. And through them, all nations of the world would be blessed. 
It's important to emphasize that. The Bible doesn't teach that God said, I'm going to love the Israelites and hate everyone else. What he said is, I'm going to choose the Israelites, I'm going to choose Israel to be a light to the rest of the world. I'm going to love the rest of the world through Israel, who I'm going to pour my love on in a unique and special way. And he gave them a land of their own. You can read it through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And God brought them up out of Egypt. He redeemed them from slavery. He brought them through the Red Sea and he fed them with quails and with manna from heaven in the wilderness. And eventually, to cut a very long story short, he brought them into the promised land. But he told them, if you trust me, if you listen to me, if you obey me, you will enjoy this land for all time. But if you disobey me, if you turn your back on me, if you cease to trust me, I will take the land away from you and I'll cast you out to the nations of the world. And he warns them time and time again. And this is really the story of the Old Testament. God warning his people time and time again, turn back to me, trust me. I've redeemed you from Egypt. You are my beloved child. Don't turn your back on me. And that's exactly what is happening in this book of Joel. The people of Israel are turning away from God. Uh, They're trusting other things and not the one who delivered them from slavery. And as a result, God has allowed, God has brought a plague of locusts on the land of Israel. Uh, This huge catastrophe has happened. And it's so huge that God tells them, tell your children about it. Tell your grandchildren about it so that they can tell future generations about this swarm of locusts which is decimating the whole land of Israel. Uh, If you remember, that opening chapter describes them like a pride of lions, the locusts. They're like a pride of lions with sharp teeth. Uh, They're stripping the fields bare. Uh, The vines are wasted. Uh, The fig tree branches have all withered away. The branches are white because they've been stripped of all their fruits. Uh, The wine has been cut off. Uh, Joel says to the the drunkard and the the drinkers of wine in verse 5, Wail, because you've got no more wine left. The locusts have taken it all away. Uh, Joel says the storehouses and the barns are all broken down and in disrepair. He says even the animals are groaning because they've got no pasture. Uh, They've got nowhere to eat and drink. Joel describes the nation of Israel at this time as like a virgin who has lost her fiancé, like an engaged young woman who has lost the one she was going to marry. That's the state that Israel is in. Uh, The vine tree, the fig tree, the pomegranate tree, the apple tree are all withered and there's no joy left in the land. That's what Israel are experiencing at this time when Joel is writing. But then Joel goes further. And he says that isn't the worst of it. This isn't the end of it all. You might think it can't get worse, but Joel says, yes, it can. Uh, Look what he says in chapter uh, verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, blow the trumpet in Zion. Zion is... 
the place where Jerusalem was, Mount Zion, where Jerusalem was built. Uh, Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. Uh, Joel says, these locusts, although they might seem bad to you, they're just a little taste of what the day of the Lord's going to be. When God comes in judgment, when God finally deals with sin and evil in this world. This plague of locusts is just a little picture of what that day will be like. And in chapter 2, you might have noticed, uh, Joel describes an army uh, which comes from the north. And this army is described like they're a huge um, swarm of locusts, but far worse, far more uh, far-reaching. And he describes in this way the day of the Lord when God finally deals with sin and evil. And he says to Israel, are you ready? Are you ready for that day? So what that means is that actually this plague of locusts, which seems like a judgment from God's, which it is, in a sense, is actually more than that. This plague of locusts is actually an act of mercy from God. God is saying, through these locusts, you're not ready to meet me. You're not ready to face me in judgment. Turn back to me. That's the first lesson for all of us uh, here this evening. Uh, The first lesson from the book of Joel is that catastrophes in our lives, perhaps not a plague of locusts, that's not something I've ever experienced and I suspect not you either, but catastrophes of whatever sort in our lives may be a mercy from God. However difficult they may feel, And however horrific and horrendous they may be to go through, they may be God's cry out to us to turn back to him. Now, to be clear, when I say that, I'm not saying necessarily that bad things that happen in our lives are necessarily uh, a specific punishment that God is bringing into our lives because of some specific sin. That can be the case. That does happen in the Bible, but not always. But regardless of whether it is or isn't, every disaster that we experience in life should be a wake-up call for us. It should cause us to examine ourselves and say, am I walking with God? Am I close to him? What is my relationship with God like? Because... Every disaster God brings in this world or allows in this world is a taste of that coming day of judgment. And it's not just me saying that. Um, I've got Christ himself, Christ's own words to teach that as well. Do you remember when there was a catastrophe in Israel? Uh, There was a, when Jesus was walking on earth, uh, a tower fell down, the Tower of Siloam, I think was the name. 
And this tower fell down and it uh, killed many Galileans, many Jews, uh, when this tower collapsed. And people came to Jesus and they said to him, were these people who died were sinners? Were they worse sinners? Had they done something terrible? And that's why the tower fell on them them and they died. And Jesus said, no, they weren't worse sinners, but beware, repent, lest you also likewise perish. Jesus said, no, it's not about their sin was greater or less or whatever, but this is a warning. This is a warning. We also will perish likewise if we do not turn back to God. And we can give the same message whatever catastrophe happens in the world, whether it's a hurricane, a tsunami, or tornado, a flood, or whatever. It's God's wake-up call to us. Are we ready to face him on that day? Which will be far more terrifying than any tsunami this world has ever experienced. Uh, Far more terrifying than any earthquake anyone's had to endure. All these terrifying events, and they are terrifying, are God's wake-up call to us to turn back to him. So that's the first lesson from Joel. Catastrophes in our lives might be a mercy from God to wake us up to examine our relationship with him. But that leads on to the second point, because Joel isn't simply rubbing the Israelites' nose in it, saying, God has brought this upon you. God has bring this locust. There's a day of judgment coming. Joel tells them what to do. Look at verses 12 uh, to 17 of, verse, of chapter 2. Uh, in Joel chapter 2, verse 12, Joel uh, Joel says, but God speaking through Joel says, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him? Do you hear those verses? Joel says to the people, turn back to God. He is merciful. He is kind. It's amazing, really, uh, how uneager we are to turn to God. Uh, Even when some hardship comes in our life or, or when we have a guilt on our conscience and we know we have not been living in the way we should be, and yet it's almost the last thing we want to do is go to God and acknowledge our guilt. It's strange, isn't it? But why are we so uneager to admit when we have gone wrong? Perhaps it's because of pride. None of us like to admit we're bad. None of us like to admit we've done wrong and we're not as good as we perhaps like to think we are. Perhaps it's just fear. Uh, The reason why criminals don't admit their guilt is because they know if they admit their guilt, then they can be thrown straight in prison basically without a trial. 
the trial's over at that point when someone confesses their sin. Perhaps that's why we're so uneager to acknowledge our sin to God. Because once we do that, we've got no defense. And yet listen to those words again. Joel says, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness. It only occurred to me fairly recently how wonderful those words are, that God is kind. Have you ever pondered that? Just do that now. Consider that thought. God is a kind God. He's not just a God of justice. He's not just a God of wrath and anger, though he is those things. He's kind. He knows that we are weak and that we are sinful. He knows all the reasons why we do what we have done and did what we did. He understands us better than we understand ourselves. And he created us and he loves us. And he longs for us to turn back to him, even with all our guilt. I don't know if you noticed a little, almost a throwaway comment at the end of the book, when God's speaking of his people Israel. And he says in verse 21, he says, I will acquit them of the guilt of bloodshed. Now, it's hard for us to think of a worse crime than murder, is it? Uh, None of us here have committed murder in the Uh, precise sense of the word. I'm sure we haven't. I hope we haven't. We can't think of anything worse than that. But God says, even murder, even murderers, I can forgive that if you turn back to me, if you come back to me, if you like the prodigal son in the story which Jesus told, if you come back to me, I will welcome you with open arms. I will run down the street and embrace you and bring you back and have a celebration There will be great joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. That is the kindness of God. But there is a warning with that as well. Did you notice verse 13 or verse 12? Uh, Joel says, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Because there is a danger here that we can start getting a bit sort of callous, uh, a bit careless in our attitude towards God. We think, oh, God's kind. God's merciful. So if I just go up to him and claim my forgiveness and then go on my way, all is well. But did you hear that verse? Rend your heart and not your garments. It's one thing to do a big show and to tear your clothes in supposed grief at your sin. But God's not interested in that. He's not interested in the rosary beads. He's not interested in your penance, uh, in your long-winded prayers trying to earn your forgiveness. That's not how we're forgiven. God wants a change of heart. He wants us to turn to him from our hearts and have a heart that is broken before him. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever wept over your own sin? Just answer that question in your own mind. Have you ever wept because of your pride, because of your arrogance, because of your deceit, because of your lust, because of your greed? 
Have you ever wept before God because you see something of the evil in your own heart? That's what God wants to see. He wants to see that heartfelt desire to change. And God promises that when we come to him with that attitude of heart, he won't despise that. He will not despise a broken heart and a contrite spirit he will hear. And he gives that wonderful promise, and if you picked it up, uh, in chapter 2. And he says, if people turn back to him, if we turn back to him, verse 21, Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvellous things. Do not be afraid, you beasts of the field, for the open pastures are springing up, and the tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their strength. He says, I can restore you. I can bring you back. Whatever you've done, even to the point of bloodshed, of blood guilt, I can make you fruitful again. Did you notice those wonderful verses in verse 25? It says, so I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army which I sent amongst you. Uh, Our lives can feel like that sometimes. Perhaps we've wasted days, months, years, with our back to God. You think it's too late for me. God says, no, it's not. I can restore the years the locusts have eaten. I can bring you back. My grace is greater than your sin if only you turn back to me. That's the second lesson we learn from the book of Joel. Uh, You cannot wander too far from God's love if you simply turn back to him. And if you turn back to him, God will pour out his grace on you. He will pour his spirit upon you. Now, the tragedy is, going back in history now, now the tragedy that Israel did not repent. Uh, They went through this great hardship, this great difficulty, but they still did not turn back to God, and God sent the Babylonian army and Israel was, well, the northern kingdom of Israel was scattered into Assyria, and the southern kingdom of Judah was scattered around Babylon. And to this day, uh, Israel has been scattered amongst the nations. Uh, You may have picked up, actually, that uh, some verses from Joel chapter 2 are quoted in the New Testament. Uh, They're quoted by Peter at Pentecost, And at Pentecost, after Jesus is risen and ascended back up to heaven, Peter quotes verses 28 and 29, uh, where it says, And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men's servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in these days. And Peter says, these things were being fulfilled at Pentecost when thousands of non-Jews were coming and being saved. Uh, Israel rejected their Messiah, but God turned instead to the Gentiles. And that's what Pentecost was all about. God was shedding his grace around the whole world. Uh, Do you remember the parable that Jesus uh, taught about the wedding feast and 
the master of the feast sends out invites uh, to different people who are invited. And when he tells them the feast is ready, they all start making excuses. One says, I've bought a field, I can't come. Another one says, I've built, bought some oxen and I can't come. Someone says, I've married a wife and I can't come. And in his anger, the master of the feast says, go into the byways and hedgerows and compel the lame and the deaf and the beggars. Compel them to come in and enjoy the feast. hope this doesn't offend you, but in Jesus' parable, those beggars are us, if we're Gentiles here this morning, this evening. Uh, Jesus says that if those the message was for originally reject it, then the message will go to others. And we get to experience all the blessings which God promised to Israel. In this book of Joel even, we get to enjoy if we turn to God. That's where we fit into this book. This is the magnificence and the breadth of the mercy of God. Whoever whether you're young or old, rich or poor, Jew or Gentile, uh, whatever situation of life you are in, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the second lesson from the book of Joel. But there's a third and a last lesson uh, from Joel as well. Uh, I said that the New Testament teaches that God turned from Israel, and he gave the gospel to the whole world. But Joel teaches us that that's not the end of the story for Israel. Uh, Look at chapter 3, verse 1. God says, For behold, in those days and at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat." And I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. They have also divided up my land. God says there's coming a day when his people will turn back to him. Uh, Israel will one day call upon the name of the Lord. Uh, We don't know when that day will be. Uh, but it will be before that great day of judgment. And this last chapter of Joel speaks of this day when God, as it were, gathers all nations before him in the valley of Jehoshaphat. Now, Jehoshaphat means the Lord judges. That's what the name Jehoshaphat means. And God, as it were, gathers all the nations and he judges them. And he says, this is the valley of decision. This is the valley, if you like, of judgment. And Jesus spoke of this day. And he said, those who turn to him, who trust on him, will go on his right. But those who rejected him will go on his left. And that's the third and final lesson of the book of Joel. There is a day of judgment coming. We do not know when it will be. Uh, If you try to guess it, if you try to predict it, you'll be wrong. Jesus said, no one knows the day. But it is coming, and we need to be ready for that day. This passage calls it the valley of decision. And all of us, 
uh, this evening are in a valley of decision. Which side will you be on on that day? Will you be on the side of the people who turn your back, who turn their back on God, who don't want to listen to him, who want to make their own path in life? Or are you going to be on the side of those who bow to Jesus, who accept his offer of mercy, who accept his grace and his compassion to anyone who comes to him? Now, that's a decision that we all have to make today. Whether you want to make the decision or not, you are making it. You can't avoid it, because not to make a decision is to make a decision. It's to say, no thanks to God's mercy. And the book of Joel, perhaps more clearly than any other, teaches about that terrifying day of judgment, which need not be terrifying for anyone. It need not be terrifying Because as the end of chapter 3 says, God is a stronghold. He is a refuge for all those who hide in him. Are you hiding in him? Are you trusting in God this morning? Have you run to him with all your guilt, with all your sin, uh, with all the skeletons in your closet? Have you run to him for the mercy he wants to shower on you? Or are you still going your own path? Are you still going your own way? Listen to the warning of Joel. I'm just going to close with a prayer, and then we'll sing a final hymn. Let's just pray. Father God, you know how we find your word uh, difficult to understand sometimes. Its uh, depths are sometimes beyond us. But we thank you for what we can understand. And I pray that nobody here in this building or watching online would uh, fail to accept the wonderful gift of your mercy. And we thank you that you are kind, you are generous, you are merciful, and you long for us to come to you. And we thank you that Jesus himself came to this world to save sinners. And because of his death on the cross, there is that way open. And I pray that each and every one of us uh, would accept that gift, that we wouldn't resist, so that day of judgment will not be a day of terror, and of darkness and of gloom, uh, but a day of rejoicing because we can praise you for all the ways in which you have shown grace to us. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I've chosen as uh, our last hymn, a hymn which rejoices in God's love, his love which never comes to an end for those who turn to him. It's number 760. O love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. So let's stand to sing in closing number 760.